Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is July the 30th, 2020. This is episode 2701 of the Survival Podcast. And today we're going to have an episode called, Instead of a Virtual Nation, What About a Private Club? And this is this is straight out of episode three of Unloose the Goose. That was a, a podcast we released with the Goose Group this week. Uh, we titled that episode "The Futility of Politics and the Utility of Community." It was a really great episode, and um, Unloose the Goose is turning into exactly what I hoped it would. It, it's not necessarily the concrete do these things stuff that we get sometimes with episodes I do on TSP, and it probably won't ever be. What it's designed to do is bring people together who have a common goal, and that is simply liberty for people. Liberty for themselves and liberty for others. Including if you want to live with tyranny, as long as I don't have to participate, you're free to live with as much tyranny that you self-impose on yourself as you want. Otherwise, we have a lot of different ideas about how to do things, the right way to do things, the best way to do things, should you even do a thing or not. And what that results in is conversations where you get to hear ideas that you would never come up with. And I don't just mean you, the listener. I mean us. I mean, honestly, this is kind of like, even though we're doing the podcast for the audience, right, and it's it's a collective audience of all of, of, of our followings, we're, we're also doing it for ourselves. It's basically you looking over our shoulders. What happens when people that think like myself and, Vin Armani and Pete Quinones and John Bush and, and Xavier Hawk and Nicole Sauce, Curtis Stone. What happens when we get together and just have a conversation and, and rant a little bit and bounce ideas off of each other and what have you? Well, in this one, we talked about a bunch of different things, dozens of different things. And somewhere in this all, the subject of privacy came up and private clubs. And I think it was mostly a combination of John Bush and Curtis Stone that this really came from. And the idea being that there are situations where the rules are different when you're a private club. Here's an example, and it might not always be a club, just when, when you're private, the rules are different. So while I was on vacation in Sanibel, Florida, um, the, the Florida government, especially the local government, Lee County, which is where Sanibel Island is located, came in with all kinds of mandates on masks and stuff like that, about when you had to wear a mask, when you didn't have to wear a mask, and whatever. And the hotel I was staying at did a really good job of conveying what the local government said. They put out a you know a, a circular type thing. It was available on the website, and they put it up in the little printouts on the doors and stuff and it basically said when you're in public you have to wear a mask and when you're in public you have to do this and when you're in public you have to do that and when you're in public you have to do this and when you're in public you have to do that and public 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 and and the final line was the beaches on our resort are private beaches for our private guests full stop basically what they said is you know as far as our restaurants they fall under the management of how they say things are supposed to be, but our pool, all of our facilities, there's nothing here that's public. 
restaurants have their own way they're you know set up, and I, I don't necessarily think that has to be the case for a restaurant. I've been to restaurants that are private clubs, but they weren't a stat. They didn't have any need to do that, but they just realized that like it's nice that you guys believe all this, except we're a private entity. We have a private property for our private guests who have paid to be here. So these are the rules for when you go into public, and then this is our rules for our private area. N no one seemed to have a problem with that. And I don't know that there's anything that anybody could have done if anybody did have a problem with that. Anybody that was a private guest would have been free to you know, Karenize themselves and demand a refund and leave. But all of the rules and regulations that Lee County put in for Lee County beaches were for public beaches. They didn't affect a private beach at all. And that can be taken to a variety of levels, and it has worked. And I always like to try to use things that have already worked. And, and I'm not just talking about COVID and the, the, the hysteria around COVID right now. I'm talking about in general, private clubs have been used successfully over and over and over and over again to either fully or partially circumvent the state's wishes. So when something has a track record of being useful, then you tend to say, what can we do with it next? So the reason that if you wanted to dig a hole, and you don't excavate or backhoe some piece of equipment, you would go get what? What can everybody afford to dig a hole with? A shovel. I mean, we know that you can dig a hole with a shovel, right? Why do you know that? Because you've seen shovels dig holes, because that's what a shovel's for. So you know it is a tool to make holes in the ground. You know that there's a way to use it. Have you ever seen somebody try to use a shovel, don't know how to use a shovel? Pretty funny, isn't it? I mean, like grown-ass men that never used a shovel in their life try to use a shovel. It, it, It boggles the mind. Same, you know, like if you want to cut a board in half, right? You want to cut a board in half across the grain, you go get a cross-cut saw. Because there's a history of cross-cut saws cutting boards in half. And it's the same thing, though. The application's important. I remember when I was a little big kid, I started making bicycle ramps and stuff like that. And I would go to all the little job sites. My grandparents moved into a brand-new house, and they were building a lot of other houses in the neighborhood. There's like a, you know, they're basically carving out this piece of the woods and building, you know, hundreds of houses in this subdivision. And I talked to the workers and they said any of the wood that's in the piles in the front of the house kind of just piled up. If it's not neatly put aside, that's scrap and we're going to burn it when we're done with the project. So if you'd like any of it, you can have it. Well, I was a kid, you know, happy as hell. Now, kid, it looks like a pig and shit. I got all this building material for free, and I would drag these big heavy boards home. And I remember having to cut two by fours, and I'd be out there with that crosscut saw. Just it would take me half an hour to cut two by four and half. And the old man to come out and and anybody knows how to use a crosscut saw on a pine board knows you can go through that sucker in seconds. Well, he knew how to use it, and I didn't. Eventually, I learned how through trial and error and repeat. But I learned mostly by watching him and finally giving up my attitude as a kid that this should just work because I want it to. And realizing that the old man could cut that board, he must know what he's doing. And if, if I kept doing the way I wanted to do it, the board wouldn't care and the saw wouldn't care. That's what my grandpa told me. He said, he said boy, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, that board doesn't care how bad you want it to be cut in half, and that saw doesn't care how bad you want it to do the job. There's a way that you use the saw, and there's a way that you treat the board. And if you do that, you can cut the board in half real easy, or you can keep doing it your own way. And you can keep being frustrated and red-faced. And eventually that caught on to me. And I think that that's part of something we can learn as anarchists, as libertarians, as agorists, what have you. 
that there's a way of things, and if we learn how that works, we can use it to our advantage. And that's what we're going to talk about today from the standpoint of private clubs and a global private club and sub-clubs and any piece you want to break off of this and do anything you want with because this is not a complete plan of action I'm giving you. This is just me thinking out loud, and I thought it would be a different subject than we've had in a while. I mean, get off the COVID shit and get off the politics and get off all of the other crap we've been dealing with and start talking again about solutions. Before we do that, let's start out with a, uh, a quote of the day. I don't know who to attribute this to other than myself. It, it's something I came up with today when I was looking for a quote and couldn't find one. But I'm going to call today's quote of the day actually a thought of the day. I, I don't feel right attributing this to myself because I know it's been stated in different ways by many people many times. So here you go. Everything ever done was considered impossible until someone did it. Everything ever done was considered impossible until someone did it. So some of the things I'm going to point out today, you might be like, ah, you can't, there's no way. And, you know, recently uh, we did an article, uh, John Pugliano did an article, a great article. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. Uh, it's, it's, on, it's the fourth megatrend in the coming crash series that I've been putting out. I had John Rikers on the automation. And I don't remember the exact comment, but a guy made comment about it. It had something to do with... Uh, like inventory control inside Amazon and going back to people because people were better at it. And I said, you really remind me of the person that probably was at Kitty Hawk when the Wright brothers flew the first airplane and said, it only went 120 feet. That's how short-sighted people are. Everything that is considered possible today was considered impossible not that long ago. How many things have you seen go from impossible to possible? In your life, if you're 20, let alone 50, if you're my age, about 50 years of age, we've seen the impossible done so many times. It should no, no longer, impossible should no longer be part of our vocabulary. It really shouldn't. We should just be using as yet undiscovered rather than impossible. Like that word just needs to go away. It needs to go away and die. I don't care how, but hopefully a very painful, meaningful death. Anyway, um, I, I, I want to kind of start digging into this one today with you, and I want to do it with the genesis of this idea and what was called the Unicard in Texas. So I, I told the story of the Unicard uh, during the Unloose the Goose episode that I referred to earlier. So somewhere in, in all this, we started to come up with private and privacy and how there's a different set of rules. And those rules vary by state. I've dug into this just a little bit, and you know, you can set up a private club in Texas, and depending on what that club does, there's you either do or do not need to register with the state of Texas. And then the state still gets to say some things. Like, you can't create a private club, you know, and then start, like, I don't know, eating endangered species once a week. Like, they, there's limits. But... There are certainly things within a private club that exist outside of the normal things that the state gets to tell you you can or cannot do or restrict. Okay, And that means that this, this grand idea of like some kind of global club that I'll get into more in a minute would have to then have compartments. And those compartments are autonomous but operate under kind of an umbrella, maybe even a religious component. Don't get scared. I'm going to say some words today that are going to scare you. All of it is about structure. 
All of it is about structure. All of it is about an umbrella of protection. None of it takes away free will. In fact, the hardest thing about this is to be part of it, not only would you have to use your free will, but you'd have to tolerate the free will of others. And that's something that's a real struggle for a lot of people. So this Unicard thing is an example of something that worked, and it worked unbelievably well. So when I first moved to Texas back in the 90s, early 90s, there were a lot of dry counties left in Texas. And there were a lot of counties where the number of bars was severely limited. The ability for an establishment to serve alcohol was severely limited. I mean, when I moved here, I never heard of such a thing. And I felt like I'd gone back in time to the 1950s in some ways. You you go to a place and they they don't serve alcohol because they can't. What the hell? I came here because I thought this place was more free. Well, it's not the state. It's the county. If you just go across the street over there on the other side, uh, that's a county line. There's all kinds of bars over there. What the hell is this about? So I went into a place one time, a restaurant, and I wanted a beer. And a feller that was waiting on the table says, do you have a unicard? So what the hell's a unicard? He says it's, it, it makes you a member of a private club, and we're able to serve alcohol as a private club. Like, this restaurant's a private club? He goes, no, the bar within the restaurant is a private club. No, I don't have a unicard. How, how do I get one? Well, he said, well, there, it was either three, it was five dollars to get a unicard. I felt a little extorted until he explained to me that almost all of the restaurants in the area were using this. That's what was called a unicard, one card for them all, like one ring to rule them all. And it was five bucks for three years of membership. Well, that didn't sound so bad, so I paid right there for a unicard, showed him my ID so he could make sure I was 21. And I, It was fair to ask at the time, guys. I'd been 21 for a few weeks. And so I filled out my little unicard, and it was this little piece of paper, and he said, put that in your pocket or your, your wallet or whatever, and whenever you're here and you want a drink, just pull out your unicard. Okay. And then I looked around and realized, like, well, my best friend is sitting on the other side of the table. I said, Does he need a unicard? He said, no. You are now a member of the private Unicard Club, and your friend sitting at your table is your guest in the club. He can order under your Unicard. Now, my buddy Brad ended up buying a Unicard anyway once he understood this, too, because, well, it made sense for him to have one, too. But all of a sudden, this thing that had been taken away, my right to consume an adult effing beverage with my dinner, was restored to me for a sum total of five bucks. And I realized the state wasn't getting my five dollars. Whoever the genius behind this Unicard system, who deserves a Nobel Prize for liberty, if such a thing existed, was the one getting some portion of the five bucks. And basically all the restaurants and what have you were collaborating together to create this collective private club to get around this thing. And what eventually happened is most of the governments gave up. And they started issuing their own permits and made it much easier because they wanted some of that money too. So the Unicard basically broke down this government system of obstruction. I'm sure someplace in Texas there's still some sort of Unicard or some sort of operation like this going on. But in almost, I've not heard a request for that in 20 years. Good guys won by playing the system with a private club. So this is where I'm coming from. When I say this has worked in the past and this does work today, So what you now have is, you know, a shovel, a pick, an axe, a saw, a nail gun, a tape measure, framing square. 
You have a whole shit ton of tools. And one person can try to build a doghouse with that and end up in the ER with a cut finger, right? And something that don't look like a doghouse. Another person can take that whole thing and build a McMansion with it, starting with raw lumber. The better you are with the tools, the better the results you're going to get. So there's no guarantee that it works for everybody, but it can work because it has worked. So to argue that something can't be done that's already been done is even more ludicrous than to argue that something can't be done just because you haven't seen it done yet. Now, I want to give you also the tale of two geese to inspire you to think like a goose in this. We, we've chose the goose as our mascot for Unloose the Goose and, and, and Leave Us Alone. Because we all know how the goose is. The goose is aggressive. When you think you hear the word goose, first thing you think of is a goose attacking somebody. Right? And there's a good reason for that. Many of us have seen the video of a goose, and there was a whole herd of cattle that got too close to the gosling nest. And this goose ran out and started biting full-grown cows in the head. And the cows backed off. Now, a cow could just step on this goose. The cow doesn't know what the hell's going on. So that's how we tend to think of it. But geese are so much more than something that will attack you. As a man that's kept geese, I've had the opportunity to watch how geese operate. And watch how geese think. And watch the intelligence in a goose. And you can see the intelligence in a goose when they're pondering something. They kind of turn their, you know how dogs when they're listening to you, like a collie dog kind of cocks its head, kind of tries to figure out what's going on? You see geese do this all the time. So here's a couple examples of that. And this might not seem like a big deal for a person to do, but think about the fact that a bird with a brain the size of a pea is using logic and reason the way it is in these two examples and say, shouldn't you hold yourself to a higher standard? If you know something like a private club works, shouldn't you be able to, cock your head like a goose and figure this out. So in one example, there were two geese, and they were bathing in these big 50-gallon tubs that I put out for them to bathe in. They were pretty young yet. They were baby geese, half-grown. And a bunch of them had gotten in the tub, and one of them had to be like the last goose in. So he gets in, but he can't get all the way in. And one of his feet ends up like bent completely behind him and stuck on the rail of the tub. And there's really no room for this goose to pull himself in at this point. He's surrounded by other gooses. Right? They've, they've filled up this thing. There's no more room. There's room, but there's not room for him to maneuver. And he kind of looks distressed. Now, this doesn't hurt them. They do this all the time. They lay it out like that to sun their legs and stuff. It, so I didn't have to worry about it. I just want to see what's going on. And the other goose looks at him does that head cock, looks at his foot, looks back at his brother goose, looks down at that foot, reaches down with his beak, and gently as a goose can, pulls that other goose's foot into the water for him. They kind of honk-honk each other, they do their morning bath, and they go on about their business being geese. That goose looked at the other goose, figured out that he had a problem, and figured out what to do about it, and made corrective action, And the goose that received the corrective action gave what he can only call a goose thank you. Now, if a goose can do that, can you not do more? I also had a goose we named Buddy. Many of you have been following for years remember Buddy the Goose. We called her the Duck Goose because she grew up with ducks. She's the only goose that grew up with the ducks alone. She was like mother duck to these ducks, and she loved her ducks. She stayed with them. She considered herself a duck. She was smarter than a duck. Geese are smarter than ducks. And at the time, I was growing a lot of, um, oh, what the hell is that stuff called? Um, it looks like corn sorghum. I was growing a lot of sorghum, and I was growing it mostly for the ducks to have more 
to be fed with. And I just started my food forest, and the trees were smaller, wasn't a lot of shade, so I just took a whole bunch of sorghum seed, and I just broadcast it through all my swale uh, berms. And I had, it looked like, because if you don't know what it is, again, it looks like corn from a distance. It looked like I had, you know, hundreds of corn plants just growing with the trees. And when, the, when it would get tall enough, it puts on a thing that kind of looks like a corn tassel, but that's the actual grain. And there's little, you know, uh, sorghum grains at the top of the sorghum plant. And this is way too high for a duck or a goose to reach, but they can kind of tell that, hey, that's something at the top of that that's pretty cool. Well, the ducks can't do anything about it. The ducks aren't strong enough to bring it down. Buddy the goose duck studies this stuff long enough. And I think a couple times I'd walked up and taken one and just instead of like, why would I harvest it and feed them? I just, they, they seem like they want it. I would just bend it over with my hand and break it. And then they'd run over and eat it. Well, Buddy the Goose Duck works this out and realizes with her beak and her strength, she can just kind of walk up to one of these things and start chewing on it. And she'd chew on it for a good minute, minute and a half or so, and it would weaken the stalk, and the whole thing would fall over look like a little miniature tree going timber. And then she'd go eat some of it. Mostly she was feeding her fellow ducks with it. That's a goose. The goose isn't just aggressive. The goose is intelligent and inquisitive and a problem solver. That's how I'm coming at this day. Hope that inspires you. So here's how a private club might work compared to a virtual nation. Years ago, several times I've talked about creating some kind of virtual nation. Maybe it has its own cryptocurrency, and you're a, a citizen of that nation, and you, we operate like a nation. And that's always had problems, and everybody that's ever tried to do it did it for the intent of making a profit. Now, you guys know I'm not resistant to making a profit. I'm an entrepreneur. I've made my living as an entrepreneur most of my adult life. I've 100% made my living as a podcaster for 11 years. So I'm all about profit. But I also think of the fact that you can get more done if you don't care who gets credit for it. And when you have somebody making a profit in something that's designed to circumvent the state, that person becomes a target. And so what I've seen with the attempt at virtual nations is basically a WordPress blog, probably with a, a BuddyPress back-end plug-in to make a miniature Facebook, do an ICO of some sort of cryptocurrency to make a bunch of money, and then not do anything and not be useful to anybody. Talk about all these things they're going to do in healthcare and governance and 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 you know rectifying problems and uh, arbitration and uh, representation, and, but do absolutely the square root of f all nothing. They do worse than nothing because they did just enough to sully the idea by profiteering off of an ICO, which is an initial coin offering for those of you not familiar with. So they sell the currency into circulation. The people that found the Virtual Nation, that's nothing but a glorified blog. It's actually worse than some blogs and less useful than some blogs. Uh, make some money, and then they just go about their lives. That's not going to work. A, 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 a private club system might work on a cryptocurrency, and here's just one idea on, on how that could work. And it's as simple and it's hard at the same time. My real thought is, If you created some sort of a cryptocurrency, and I don't care what platform you use to create it, but you also created some sort of uh, an exchange, for lack of a better term, that only worked with one other cryptocurrency, let's say Bitcoin, just because it's the oldest, the most reliable, it's slow, it's slow, it's slow compared to some, yes. Okay, we'll use Bitcoin Cash. I don't care what it is. 
some cryptocurrency that is a reserve currency. And some and, and to get to be a club member, you have to buy into the club. But when you buy into the club, you get goose coin. It's a horrible name. Let's not run with it just for the hell of this show. Let's call it it's the goose club and you get goose coin. But when you buy it, nobody gets the Bitcoin or the Bitcoin cash or the Ethereum or whatever this is run on. It's kind of, and, and, and making this so it can't be hacked and raided and manipulated might be difficult. But if you could do something where the coin inflates and deflates along with the base currency so it's always a direct exchange, meaning that if you bought in at a one-to-one, And that would never be the way it would work. Right? You're not going to start out with a currency being worth $11,000. But if you bought in at a one-to-one, -one, and the currency that's the reserve currency doubled, all of the coin that's already in circulation would double. And if it cut in half, it would all cut in half. So that it would always be a fixed exchange. Kind of the way that China pegs its currency to the U.S. dollar. And you see the beauty in this now is everything inside the club, in or out of the club, Going in and going out never touches U.S. dollars. So you would go to an exchange, I don't care if it's Coinbase or, or, or Bittrex or whatever, and you buy cryptocurrency of some form. And then you buy your way, you buy your membership. And if you need more money inside the club, you buy more membership. And it sits in this address. Who controls it? Nobody. Who? And, and how do you do that? I don't know. I just know that it can be a thing. And the only way to get money out of it, it's not money, remember, it's cryptocurrency, is not money. The government says it's not money, so we should not interfere with that. Let's roll with that. The only way that you get Bitcoin out of this exchange is by taking the currency of the club and going back and, and exchanging it, and then it's in a Bitcoin wallet of your choosing outside the system and you do whatever you want. So you can exchange the club's currency... Or you can exchange the club's currency for another currency, and if you want dollars, go get it. This would ensure liquidity. This would mean that, that goose credits would always be exchangeable to U.S. dollars, and the shift would always be in the underlying currency. There's actually no reason that the underlying currency couldn't be USDT, right? Tether, or USD coin, or whatever. It could be a dollar coin. If you wanted, I don't know that that's the best idea, but maybe the dollar as a reserve is not a bad idea. But there's still no dollars. Right? So I don't know what you would use. And I don't care if 30 people do this, 30 different ways. Good. Maybe one of them will be right. Maybe one of them will work. I don't want to control shit. That's why I always, when I put this stuff out, people always think I'm like trying to be the new leader of some movement. No, I'm just throwing out an idea. So once you have that, Then you have to look at the structure of the club. I'm about to use a word here that's going to freak some people out, and it's going to make some people's ears perk up, and it's, it's not going to really have a thing to do with the thing I'm going to use, but I'm trying to paint a picture, and the best way I know to do that is start out by pointing out another picture and then explaining what I want. Like, let's say you're going to make a logo for me for a new company. We might start out with another company's logo, and I don't want that logo. But you're a designer and I'm an entrepreneur and I don't know how to, if I knew how to make the logo I wanted, I would just do it and I wouldn't need you. Okay? I'm trying to get you to design something for me. I'm going to start out with Joe Blow's logo 
and I'm going to end up with Jack Spirico's logo by explaining to the designer the, 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 what I like and what I don't like about this logo. Okay? So here's the word. It's going to flip some of you off your tree. Masonry. As in the Masons. As in, you know, the Masonic Order. I see some genius in how that system, that private, members-only system operates. And if I get anything wrong, I'm not a Mason, and I'm not trying to be one, and you'll just have to forgive me. It doesn't matter because I'm not trying to be a Mason. So if you're a Mason and you hear this and you don't like any of it, it doesn't matter. I'm trying to build my logo, and I'm using yours, and if I don't fully understand it, it doesn't matter here. So one thing I understand about Masonry, though, is that if I'm a Mason and I happen to be in a town that I've never been to before and I find a local lodge and I go there and they verify I am a Mason, they will render me aid. They will treat me as a brother. I'm in the club. I think there's some genius in that. Now, they also are not, and I don't know, maybe they are, but in my idea for my logo, they wouldn't necessarily be required to do that. They would be expected to, but maybe not required. Maybe I'm a dick, right? And, and, and masonry has something in it that this wouldn't. An assurance that you kind of fit a certain profile. And if you don't do that, they'll throw you out. And I'm not saying that couldn't happen here, but I think that would be more at an individual club level. Not a national club or a global club level. But just something like that where if you're in the club, you're in the club. And that means that at least you can talk to any of a sub-club. Because instead of a lodge, which is part of the whole, you'd have a sub-club that's a member of the whole, if that makes sense. That's my logo design idea. But it w also would not be like the Masons at all, as I'm describing my logo versus the competition's logo. There would be zero hierarchy, other than what you would call a natural hierarchy. Now, I know, again, don't worry about me what I get wrong about your logo. I'm trying to design mine, and I'm using something people sort of kind of can get their head around. I know that every man's a brother and equal and whatever, but there's a hierarchy. And there's people in charge of things. I don't think you can have people in charge of things. No leader in the big club for sure. Sub club. Do your own thing. Some will be completely egalitarian. Some will have some sort of hierarchy within the sub club. But the big club that they're a member of is just an umbrella. It's just a shelter. Two people can both have C-corporations and use them very differently. You can have two subcorps under one larger corp, and those two subcorps can use the shelter of the larger corp differently, if you understand what I'm saying. What I'm talking about is how not to become the next Ross Albright. Because I'm sure not going to do it. I'm not going to Club Fed for the rest of my life or even for the next year. And and I, I know that when you, again, Masons, Ross Albright, Silk Road, etc., people get very opinionated, especially when they see how much was done wrong to Ross. And I, if I had the power, I would absolve Ross of everything, and I would give him a couple million dollars for his pain and suffering induced by the state. So nothing I'm about to say is against Ross Albright. But my belief is Ross Albright will never see the son as a free man again for the rest of his life. I hate saying that. I love his mom. I have hugged his mom. And when I hugged her, I hugged her so hard I almost crushed her because I feel so much pain for her. And I know she believes that someday she'll get Ross out of prison. I don't believe Ross is ever getting out of prison. I certainly don't think the orange man's going to let him out. 
And I don't want that to happen to me, and I don't want it to happen to anybody else. So the mistake that Ross made, and I'm like, somebody going to say, well, he's not even the guy. Okay, the mistake made that allowed them to get Ross, whether he did it or not, was that Silk Road made decisions about what happened on Silk Road, and whether he was or not, he was identified as the, the head person making those decisions. So Silk Road decided this gets to be displayed and this does not get to be displayed in our marketplace. When that was done, that meant that you've now accepted, this is the case the government made, and whether you agree or not doesn't matter, it's what happened. That if you've done that, you have now taken responsibility for the mor morality and legality of the ones you did say yes to. It would have actually been better if they had, had no control and never given themselves any control. That would have been wrong morally, but from a structural standpoint, it would have been better. So, But the thing is, I'm not talking about a marketplace. I'm talking about a private club that exists simply so other people can say they're a member of that club. So that they can operate as clubs with some sort of guiding unification from a standpoint of protectionism. And exactly how that works yet, I, I, I don't know. It, it, and maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, again, I'm talking about a club of clubs. So there's this club, Goose Club. Again, probably a terrible name, just it's easy for today. And, and you and your buddies want to start a gun club. And you look into what it call, you know what it takes to set up a range and all that and the money and, and everything. And instead of having to do all of the things the state says, you want to operate as a club so, you, so that you get out of some of the things that the state says you have to do, whatever they may be. Like you might even find in some states that once you're a private gun club, you can have basically effectively a bar without a liquor license. Some other states you can't, but maybe that's the case. But a lot of times, what I've found in my research is that the state's like, well, you're not really a club. You don't qualify as a club. I don't know what could be more private than not only are we a club, we use our own club currency. All members are members. And you can't even be a member unless you're a member of a membership to a member. I mean, the more layers you put in here, the better. And then you operate basically however you want, but then you're part of this larger club system, this, this decentralized organization that has centralized, centralized communication. So that if you want to find other clubs, you can. This is actually a lot like John Bush's Freedom Cell Network, except it has a different purpose. And there's no reason that a club couldn't also be a cell, But a cell could be a member or not a member, and a club could be part of the cell or not, or somebody that's in a club might be, you see what I'm saying? Like, there's no need to convolute any of that. It's just a thing. It's just, we offer, in fact, the currency itself may be the primary thing that differentiates whether you're in the club or not. Because now we are members transacting in a cryptocurrency for private-only transactions among private individuals, there is no public access. There's zero public access to our club's activities. 
You have to be a member. Now, how do you become a member? Is there some process that you have to go through to become a member? I think the problem is if you set it up where anybody gets to decide, then you're setting up a situation where somebody who's deciding has to be a target. But if you set it up with enough automation, and then no, since there's nobody in charge, I'm not required to respect your membership. So what's the purpose of it? Again, it's to be protected. So if you want your membership respected, then the basic ideology behind it has to be demonstrated that you're part of it. Now, I've seen a lot of things with rating systems and stuff like that, and I just think then all of a sudden you're trying to build a machine for something that may never be. Wasted energy, intellectual masturbation type thing. Humans have figured out how to develop trust with each other forever. The, all of the systems that exist for trust building that are already in place, there's no reason that they can't still be used. People have reputations online and offline. When I'm looking at somebody who's a club member, that's they got that going for them, but they have all the rest of whether they're trustworthy or not as to whether I'm going to do business. And somehow, see, this whole thing about trust, I think we've, we've blown this out of proportion. Human beings have dealt with each other and had to earn trust from each other since human beings learned how to use language, probably before. So I, I, I kind of feel like you set up a club to do whatever you want, and then if you want your club to be part of the big club, there's some sort of mechanical action that you have to take. You know, maybe you set your own rules. The system is designed to create a structure, nothing more. And this is the hard part. You're going to have to let go to be, to be part of something like that. You can't control it. You can't set rules. You actually have to be a voluntarist. Because I find so many people that say that they're for liberty and freedom, but they don't mean that. You know, people are like, ah, oh, for liberty and freedom. Well, how about legalizing cannabis? It's so terrible. Well, no one said you had to smoke it. My kids might. That's your business. Your kids still might do it, whether it's legal or not. The difference is if they do it while they're minors, subject to your discipline, and you catch them, you have that adv advantage to be able to do that. But if it's illegal, the state steps in and throws your kid in jail. But you still want that because you, you have this facade belief of protection. People are always going to do whatever they most want to do, no matter what, anyway. The fear of prosecution of people really is not what stops them from doing what they're doing. It alters how they do it, and they try to get away with it. But bad people are still bad people. Thieves are still thieves. Killers are still killers. People that use hard drugs still use hard drugs. People that sell them still sell them. More bad comes from the overreach of the state, and then... As soon as you try to do something like this, people want to drag everything that makes that miserable into it. But what if Joe Blow sets up the Joe Blow racist club under the Goose Club? Then nobody will have anything to do with Joe Blow. Well, what if the world slanders the Goose Club? The world's going to do that anyway. Who cares? Who cares? Maybe there's a system in place like discommendation. Reach club has some kind of a vote, but it's all mechanically done. Where if enough members of the cl enough clubs, you know, cross their arms and turn their back, that club is disconnected automatically. 
They can still get their money back. They can still go to the, the ATM, basically, the online ATM, and swap their goose coin in for Bitcoin and then go buy a car with it or whatever. But they are no longer associated. If somebody tries to validate that your club's part of the club, you've been discommendated. Is that the way to do it? I don't know. But it sure seems like that's a really simple way, and it still means nobody's in charge. You're creating this kind of electronic constitution. And I hate to use the word constitution because that implies a government. What I'm really talking about is a method of governance. What if people take it over and ruin it? What if your aunt had balls? She'd be your uncle. I mean, again, I'm back to everything ever done was considered impossible until somebody did it. There's a way to do this that makes it far more difficult for people to take it over and keep it simple. Everything I've ever seen done like this is so complicated, so convoluted, requires so much effort, so much money, that it becomes a money suck and a profiteering operation, and then it goes away. People get on RT a couple times, do some interviews, pump it up, grab the money, convert it to some other thing, and go away. Well, that's no good. And maybe people just start creating these subclubs first. And maybe subclubs create their own superstructure whenever they feel like it. I don't know. Maybe this is a lot like John Bush's thing, except I don't know that it is. He has a different vision for it, and he has a certain level of control over it. I think it's a great thing, and you should probably take check out freedomcells.org. I think it's a great thing. So, John, you're listening. I'm not. Put, I'm just pointing out this is kind of different in my mind. And again, maybe a club is a freedom cell. Who knows? It's up to the club. But instead of forming groups, maybe we need to be forming clubs. Groups are targets without protection. Groups are targets without protection. If you think about it, a militia group is a target of the government. A private gun club is a private organization. It's respectable. Let me tell you about a club that I was part of. Well, I wasn't really part of. I was a guest of a few times in Manhattan. The Manhattan Gun Club. This is a real place. It really exists. If you were standing outside of it, kind of a side street, in, in main, you know, downtown Manhattan, but kind of a side street there. You wouldn't know it was anything important. You wouldn't know that some of the wealthiest people in New York and New Jersey are members. You wouldn't know that even with the money I have now, I could never afford to be a member. You wouldn't know that you have to be voted in. You wouldn't know anything about it. You wouldn't know. You wouldn't have a clue. You wouldn't know that if a group of gentlemen sat down to have, uh, dinner at the place that the member that sat at the head of that table was into it for a good three or four grand at least just for that dinner on top of the membership. You wouldn't know. One time I was in there in a the little bar out kind of in the front before you sit down at the table where all your friends get together and meet. Some lady just happened to hit it at the right time where the door was open. She was evangelical. She wanted to tell everybody about Jesus. She managed somehow to slip right behind the doorman and get into the place and start proselytizing. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying she's not a member. She's not supposed to be there. She she left very gently, and she was very kindly treated, but I don't think her feet really touched the ground on the way to the door. Out and by. She could go to any police officer in Manhattan and say they threw me out, and they'd say, why were you trespassing? I've never seen. I've only been there a few times, but I've never seen an officer of the law inside this place. 
And after you eat your dinner, you go down to a rifle range in the middle of Manhattan and shoot guns. That exists. That's a thing. It's a club. It's private. It's protected. It operates in a completely different space than the restaurant that's across the street, which is also very expensive and very nice. But it operates on a completely different level. All I'm suggesting is that maybe we emulate a system like that with the structure, let go, not control, not set rules, and actually be a true voluntarist society. Now, perhaps we actually make it a faith, a religion, only for the purpose of erecting another wall between the state and the umbrella. Remember, because the, the sub-club is still its own thing. It still does whatever it wants. It's only as connected as it wants to be to the total body of the whole. It operates in this umbrella. We are a private club that is a member of a private club type of thing. Hey, they do shit like this all the time with corporations and sub-corporations. They all do it through filing paperwork. Maybe we do it just through a statement and a faith. And I would uh, uh, propose that maybe you have to be a member of the non-aggression church. The church of non-aggression. Which could be a real faith tomorrow morning if we decided we wanted it to be. What makes a faith a faith? That more than a few people believe it and practice it in their daily lives. That's all that makes a faith a faith. Well, but what makes Christianity a faith is our God is the God of the Bible. But see, you just believe that. Even if you're right, okay? I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying what makes it a faith in the eyes of the state isn't that the state agrees with you. It's that you believe it and enough of you state you believe it and live by it, at least to some level, that it's recognized this is a religion. Under our laws in this country, we have to... Re Scientology is a religion in the eyes of the United States government. I believe it's a very dangerous cult. But what makes Scientology a faith in the eyes of government? The same thing. Enough people that believe it and practice it. It's just a legal structure. So what if there was a church of non-aggression and it had solely one commandment? Do not hurt people and don't take their stuff. And no one gets to decide whether you're a member of this church or not except you. But the mechanical action of joining a club within a club is to state that you are a member of the Church of Non-Aggression, and you live by its principles to the best of your ability as a human on planet Earth under the government over you. Isn't that interesting? Because it's not an acknowledgement that the government is valid. It's an acknowledgement that the government is there. And maybe there's a way to structure that pledge that makes everybody a little bit more happy, but we're not going to make everybody happy, so let's not even try. But somehow acknowledge that, like, if I live within the state of Florida... I acknowledge there are certain things the state of Florida makes me do, private member or not, religious member or not. You can't have a religion that says it's okay to kill people and then go kill people and tell them they can't arrest you. I, I don't think you should be able to either, and I'm using an extreme example to make a point. But there are certain protections that exist within a religion. And it would be very hard to say a religion's not a religion if it had, let's say, a million members. And maybe the church is different than the club. One can be part of the church and not the club, but not part of the club and not the church. 
And one simply becomes a member of the church by saying that they are. It's that simple. Does it sound too simple? Maybe the reason all the other shit like this that never worked didn't work because it was too complicated. And no battle plan survives contact with the enemy. You're going to have to adapt as you go along. It's just a tool. It's a toolkit. And how individual, and that's the beauty of the autonomy of the sub club. If that's the right, I don't know if that's the right word. But, you know, well, what are you doing here? We're, I'm sorry, sir. We're a member, we're a members only club. You're not in the club. Can I come in? No. Can I check around? No. Police officer, can I come in? Do you have a warrant? No. How's that different? It's different. If you're not a club and you have a business, per se, in many instances, and are open to the public, then an officer of the law is also a member of the public and can walk into your business. You can't have a store that's open to everybody but cops. Now, I know some people have said they've banned serving officers or whatever for, you know, virtue signaling or what. But in the end, that cop can go in there to see what's going on. If a local Starbucks franchisee, I, get, I, I don't know if they're a franchise or not, just say they are. Let's say Joe's Coffee says, we don't serve cops. I, I doubt the cops are going to go in and make him serve them. But if they think that Joe's in there selling meth, they don't need a warrant to walk in that door and look around. Now, if they want to start digging through Joe's papers... They want to go behind the counter where it says, like, then there's that. But they can come in and say, hey, you got, you're serving those people moonshine, for instance. That's illegal. And they can arrest Joe and anybody else involved in that. Then they can use probable cause to search the whole place. And they can do all of that because they can walk in the door. Now, if you have a private club, it doesn't mean that they can't have some probable cause to enter without a warrant, but it's much more difficult. And then they have to go to a judge and make a sworn affidavit to acquire a warrant to gain entry with a warrant. And that's something most businesses do not have the ability to do. But as far as I know, my state anyway, most private clubs do. Now, what is a private club and how private is the club? I think that's a very structural thing. I'm not a lawyer because, like I said, when they were doing the Unicard thing, the bar inside the restaurant was a private club, which meant that the, you know you could still come into the restaurant without being a member. But I've been to places where that's not the case. When I was in Salt Lake City, Utah, one time, against my will, I was at a hotel, and I made sure that I got a hotel that had a good steakhouse and a good bar in it. Kind of hard to find. Lots of controls over drinking. And back when I when this happened, this was the 90s, right? It was more so than today, I believe. In fact, I was into smoking cigars, so I even found a place with a humidor where I could smoke indoors. They had a smoking lounge for that within the bar and the restaurant. Um, now, how did they do this? It was a members-only club. It was a members-only club. How did I become a member of this exclusive club? I was a guest at the hotel. Okay. So I'm a guest at the hotel. It came with a free temporary membership in the club. And I had a room key. And as long as that room key was active for my room, I was officially a guest of the hotel. So when I went to go into the private club, there was a closed door and a little man standing in front of a podium. Yes, sir, are you a member? Why, I believe I am, and I explained. He said, that would be correct. May I see your room key, sir? 
And he took my room key and he swiped it and he looked at the screen and he handed it back to me. He said, welcome to the club, Mr. Spierko. And he opened the door for me. Had my room key went, eh, he would have said, I'm sorry, you cannot come in. Now, how much does that hold against law enforcement? I don't know, but I'd like to find out. I know that it's more than nothing. I know that it's more than nothing. I know that I have been to plenty of private clubs where had I not been a member or guest of the club, entry is denied. Entry is denied. Can I see what's going on behind that door? No. But no. But no. If you think about it, Sam's Club and Costco are clubs in this way. Now, they don't rigorously enforce this, and, and I have been in a hurry and not given a shit about the, the $11 an hour employee at the door checking membership cards and just walked right past them. And they, sir, sir, but they have every right to physically remove a person for doing that until you show your, 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 your card. If you've never been to a, I don't know how Sam's works, but if you've been to a Costco, it's, no, you can't, like, walk in off the street not being a member of the club and go look at the items for sale and see the pricing. You're not allowed to do that. It's not that you have to be a member to buy. You have to be a member to enter the store. You can go in the out, and there's a little desk you can go up to, and anybody can buy a membership. So they allow, see, it's not your, your it's not, you have a right to do that. They permit you to enter th that way so that you can become a member. And they have a very low threshold for membership, i.e., do you have 39 bucks or more if you want the better membership? But you're not permitted to enter without that membership. There is some way to take this and multifacet use it to create situations where You can't interfere with me because you have this edict or this this what have you. It, it, here, here's some examples of doing this in other ways without necessarily it necessarily being a club. There are places where uh, states have basically made it where a brewery can sell beer direct to the public at a bar that's not really a bar. And a lot of times it'll come with, you know, You can't serve any one individual more than four beers. I've even seen, like, I think it was in Montana. You got, you went in, and they give you, like, four tickets. And you still have to buy the beer, but you get a ticket. And this is not a club, but it's still, it's still working on this stand, you know, standing. So you go in, and you get your four tickets. And this is just how they make sure that they follow the rules. Because I can only buy four beers. And then every time I give them a ticket, they mark my bill with the time that I bought the alcohol. Because it's like you can have four beers, but no more than two an hour or something like something stupid like that. So they do that to portion control. And a lot of these places don't sell food. Maybe they put peanuts and chips out for free or something. Well, some of this COVID shit in some states, what they've done is say, you can't go to a bar. And they've like, oh, we don't want to forget about these loophole thing we made. 10 years ago, so you can't do that. That's now considered a bar for this edict. But you can go to a restaurant and order food and a drink. But then, okay, I'm this brew pub, and I've, I've built this beautiful bar top, and I've got money in this, and I've got staff, and this is a big part of my revenue, and now you're destroying my revenue stream. 
since I'm operating only as someone serving beer that I brew, I don't have a kitchen. I certainly don't have a, an FDA-approved kitchen. That's hundreds of thousands of dollars to invest. I can't fix this problem. Yes, you can. And what some of them have done is they partner with a food truck that in of itself, the truck itself is you know, a government-approved kitchen, commercial kitchen, and the food truck comes, and you buy your food from the food truck, and then they'll serve you your beers. Now, I think it's stupid, but I also think it's brilliant that somebody figured out to do that. And I, I saw one guy that basically he partnered with, he's open five days a week. That's what he's always been. It's like Monday and Tuesday, he's not, they're like slow days or something. I don't know if it's Sunday and Monday, but something like that. He doesn't open two days a week. So he's got five different food trucks, and each day that he's open, a different food truck comes and essentially is his kitchen. And his wait staff takes your order and goes and gets the food from the food truck and brings it to your table along with your drinks. See how clever that is? That's what we called, I called it on the show the other day when we did the Goose Show, status jujitsu. Take the state's own rules and use it against them. Now, how do you stack privacy and club into that type of thinking? And then how do you add something like maybe, may, I'm not saying we should do it, maybe we should. Maybe we could set up by tomorrow, independent of all this club idea, the church of non-aggression. I might just do it over the weekend for the hell of it. The church of non-aggression. Hereby forever let it be known until such time as he steps, he or she steps away from the sole commandment of attempting to live by do not hurt others and do not take their stuff. Insert name here shall forever be recorded in the annals as a member in good standing of the church of non-aggression. May the God of your choice bless you in your life. Fill in the blank name. Something like that. I am a reverend. Why not? Does it mean anything? I don't know. It's going to be hard for it not to mean anything if that spreads, if people tell others about it. If every anarchist and agorist and libertarian out there that thinks it's a good idea, that it doesn't cost them a dime, does it? And we could say you have, we have, we have a, we are a major world religion. We have a million practitioners of our faith. Is that, you put that, that card out before you attach the horse to it? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'll do that just for the hell of it. I think I can do that all by myself with no money. And I'm not in charge. When I write the edict of the church, I'll state that I'm not in charge. That whatever entity you believe in, whether that be natural processes, a Christian God, whatever, knows if you have violated this and you know that you're no longer a member and you're expected to act like it. Who knows? That's another wall in front of the state. This is not a complete idea, but there's something to it. Maybe global is not the way to go. Maybe it's just a bunch of tiny clubs. Maybe there's no need for this. Maybe there's no need for a cryptocurrency. Maybe just more people need to start creating private clubs. But it does seem like... So here's my thing with the cryptocurrency. I've always had people say, you should make Valcoin or something. And I'm like, you know, I just don't see the point. I don't see the point of another cryptocurrency. Frankly, I don't 
I'm, there are some definite cryptos that are better than Bitcoin as, as, as acting as a method of payment. But honestly, if you, if you want to use cryptocurrency, Bitcoin does everything that you need to do to be able to exchange for goods and services. And any kind of like smart contracts or whatever could be built on a platform that doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what crypto is being used. Bitcoin Cash is better. Okay, then use that. I prefer a privacy guy. I want Dash. Okay, use that. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, I have never seen the purpose. I've never seen the point of making yet another cryptocurrency other than to enrich the people that make the currency. That At this point, you know, we're a decade plus into this world of crypto. Like, and I said this back when the boom was going on, like all of these like 10,000 cryptos are going to just crash and burn. We're making a crypto for the electric industry. What the hell do they need their own crypto for? We're making one for the banking. What do they need their... Like, every industry had like 20 people making a crypto just for it. What possible need is there for that? But when I look at this, and I think it's a club that you... A club, a faith-based club. Again, don't have to believe in even God for it to be faith-based. I believe in this thing. A faith-based club that uses its own currency and all transactions between members use only its own currency. The only point I see to that is another layer separating, and also a privacy. Uh, this coin must be. It must be a privacy coin or a privacy token. It must allow for transactions that cannot be traced. And there's plenty of technology that does this. It doesn't even necessarily be a fork. It could almost be a clone of something that does this already that just operates on its own blockchain. Just, there it is. But no one can truly control it. It really is just a derivative of whatever the backing currency is. That's all that it is. It's, it's, if, if you use Bitcoin, it's Bitcoin Goose, right? BTCG. That probably is somebody's ticker already. And it's just Bitcoin. I mean, maybe it's that. It's, it's, it's just Bitcoin. It's just called something else while it's in the club. That Maybe that's, wow, wait a minute there. If you take a major crypto, and basically it's just a representation of an existing token that can flip back. It's not a fork in the conventional sense. It's a clone that stays tied. Every token has a counter token. And the token, when it's in the counter token form, is locked until the counter token is flipped back. Holy shit. Some of you are going, what the hell is he talking about? I understand what I'm saying. And people out there that know crypto understand what I'm saying. It's a locked clone that prevents double spending. And it would use... Oh, that's, that's it. It only exists for the purpose of being named. It only exists so that it is the official currency, and it's, it, it's seamless almost to go back. And then no one has the course. So right now, you don't own, this is, this is a lesson in crypto. You don't own Bitcoin. You can't own Bitcoin. It's impossible. And no other crypto, you don't own it. You don't possess it. You don't have it. 
You don't have a single, I don't care if you are a Bitcoin billionaire, you don't own a single Bitcoin. And the proof you don't own it is I, I can take it from you without stealing it from you. If I know your keys, I too control your coin, and neither one of us owns it. We both have access to it. We both have control of it. No one owns it. It's not there. It's not a thing. It exists out in this world we call a blockchain. And by having two sets of keys, you can control where it goes. And you can basically then transfer the ability to control it to another set of keys that somebody else controls. No one actually owns Bitcoin. That's very, very important to understand. Now, if you have a privacy coin that's not traceable, that you can create this flip-flop cloning to and avoid the potential for double spending and hacking, that's the hard part, what you end up with is this umbrella. I mean, and the other thing you could do that you totally could do. If you have a stable enough privacy coin that there's enough faith in it, because faith is important, you just use it. All transactions inside this is taken with this cryptocurrency. You know, some privacy coin. Except, the problem with that is, I don't know of a truly stable problem. It could be USDT. That's another thing you could do. You want complete stability? If you believe the dollar is stable, I don't necessarily believe it is, but you know, you could you could use a dollar coin. You could just use the coin, but I think if you can create a and somehow just name it differently. It's the underlying currency is still the same. It's still Bitcoin, it's still Bitcoin cash. And honestly, the the crypto that spends the easiest is probably Bitcoin Cash. I know a lot of people are going to get mad at me right now. I don't get into the whole fights. I just, it, it spends real easy. Litecoin does too. But Bitcoin has the, Bitcoin has an ability to be resilient continuously. Like, mania. Okay, have you looked at Bitcoin today? In the middle of this? And you just, be quiet and go away. So I don't know what you would really do there, but it sure seems like if you can create something like that, a representation, an alternate name, anything that prevents double spending, and the reason that's so powerful is so a person becomes a member by stating something, some sort of mechanical apparatus entering and creating a certain amount of club currency. They are, that's it. If you have the currency, you are a member of the overriding club. And then as a subclub, you use that currency. And business between clubs uses that currency. Something like that. It sounds complicated, but I think that it could be built to the point where it's basically a wallet. It's a wallet like Jack's Liberty, but it's, you know, goose wallet. And if what if members of the club want to use a different currency? They can do whatever they want. It's just a suggestion. You can't tell anybody what to do. That's the whole point. But I think there's something to this, and I'm just not sure exactly how to work it out. But some of you guys that are coders and whatever, think about it. And then I'm going to end with this. After all that, maybe it's all wrong. But we can take from it and, and do stuff with it, or it might work. I don't know. 
This is where I give you the line that's you know near the end of the book Illusions um, by Richard Bach. Everything in this book might be wrong, or everything in this book could be wrong. Everything in this episode could be wrong, but there's a ton of truth in it. And there is something to be said for the privacy component to things. There are there are bars in Texas that under this latest edict have simply turned themselves into private clubs and are open and don't have a mask requirement. They're just private clubs. Everybody's a member. There's also a place where maybe club is co-ownership. Gun clubs a lot of times work this way. Members are owners. So when you become a member, you become, you know, a if there's 200 seats in the club, you become a half percent owner in the club. There's there's a place for that too. I mean, my final thoughts on this are, I'm sure a lot of you listening to this have said, that'll never work because, and I'm, I'm back to everything ever done was considered impossible until somebody did it. And they won't let you. I didn't ask them to let me do anything. I do all kinds of shit all the time that they don't want to let me do. And so do you. And so if, if you make this very, very public in your face type thing, then I think you end up creating a target. But if you make this very much a, here's a framework to operate under. Well, who are you to say that? I, I'm nobody. I'm just pointing out that this framework's there. Look, you can use it. Well, who gets the money? No one gets the money. It's your money. You're just changing the form of your money. Well, what if I want to go back? Then you can go back. What if I lose money when I go back and forth? That's your problem. Here's the rules. Here's how it works. You're, and if, if, the, if the base currency was, let's say, Bitcoin, you're going to lose no more money than you would lose holding Bitcoin. So if you don't want to hold Goose Coin, go to Bitcoin, and you're still in the same place, and change it to dollars. Or, or whatever. See what I'm saying? There's no, there's no difference if you do it right. And again, maybe it's not necessary. Maybe you just say all transactions within the club are crypto of your choice. Who knows? But we don't use dollars. I mean, just saying we don't use dollars in the club may be enough. This club over here wants to use Litecoin because they like it. Okay? They want to do business with another club. That club uses Bitcoin. they got to figure it out. It'll never work. works every day. People figure it out every day. Hell, the wallet that I use, Jack's Liberty, has shapeshift on board. I can change things back and forth without even an exchange. I mean, there's solutions to all this stuff. But I'm starting to think about the church of non-aggression. I wonder how many people would become disciples of the church of non-aggression. I would not be your reverend. I would just be the founder of the church who then walked away from it and let it be whatever it was going to be. Just an interesting idea. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. I want to remind you, if you like this show and the work that I do, you can help support it because uh, even though this was not a profit-generating idea in of itself, I'm not opposed to profit. And one of the ways that I profit is by you guys becoming members of the MSB, which does have rules and does have set things. And I do take dollars. You can go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on Members to learn more. You can join there, and the discounts that I'll get you will pay for your membership. Also, you can help us out by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. 
Uh, you shop there and you help us out no matter what you buy. Today's item of the day is the Thermocell Portable Mosquito Repeller. I won't say a lot about it today other than it works. It uses a little pad and a little bit of uh, butane, a little tiny flame, produces a little bit of heat, and it emits this thing, and the mosquitoes don't bite you. And it really works. And I thought it was bullshit when my buddy David showed me his. He ended up giving me one. I own it. My, you know, I own that one. I bought others since then. Uh, you can get the little portable one that I have in the write-up. You can also see all the offerings. They have things that look like lanterns that you keep out on your porch and whatever. And this thing works better than any other thing like it. I've tried the citronella candles and all that shit. I've tried the you know citronella oil and the lantern. No, nothing works as good as this thing. Um, the only person I heard tell me it didn't work, Gal, I really have a lot of respect for. Uh, they were tromping around, you know, like carrying them with them in like a swamp, where it's like 800 billion mosquitoes. And I, I can see that not working, but in a normal situation, that basically creates a cone around you the mosquitoes don't want any part of. It works amazing. And it basically uses uh, chrysanthemum as, as, as its way of repelling mosquitoes. And it just works fantastic. Check it out. Again, the company's called Thermocell. Uh, the MR150 is the item of the day, but you can get a link there, and it will show you everything. You can find everything I've ever recommended. It all works or wouldn't be there. T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Let's go to our song of the day. Song of the day today, we're continuing in the Major Tom series. I know David Bowie. Not David Bowie today, though. David Bowie is not the only one that wrote music about Major Tom. Major Tom, he gave an idea that other artists, you know, contributed to. Today is by a guy named Peter Schilling from the 80s. And this is a very 80s. This is an 80s techno song, if there ever was one. And it's called Major Tom, I'm Coming Home. Major Tom, I'm Coming Home. This is a song that right now you might be thinking, I don't know this song. If you were alive... And old enough to remember stuff in the 80s. It's almost inconceivable you don't know this song. You might even listen to the first verse of this song and think, Jack's crazy, I don't know this song. But when the chorus comes, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that brain cell's where I had that information. Um, again, this is as 80s as it gets. It's also an interesting song, and it fits today's show kind of cool. So the concept of this is that, remember, Major Tom was lost in space and presumed dead. He was gone. Then, in Bowie's next version of the song, he called back to Earth, and Earth decided, this guy's a junkie. We don't want him back, and basically shut him out, and he stayed up in space. And then again, was presumed to be gone. Well, now Major Tom has radioed home yet again. And this time, Mission Control is convinced he's no longer a junkie, and they decide to bring him home. But at the end of the conversation, he says, wish my wife well. And it's once again assumed that Major Tom shut off the ship and died in outer space. But the truth is, he decided to remain up in space, and he now considers it his home. Well, I'm going to say, once you go goose, you never go back. Once you start thinking like a goose, once you start figuring out that I don't have to do everything society tells me to do, the state tells me to do, or workarounds. Whether it's Jack's crazy private club bullshit idea, or structuring this, or state jujitsu that, or just creating and carving out my own little niche and not giving a shit, and just focus, no matter what it is, there's ways that I don't have to do what the hell they tell me to do anymore. 
Once you do that, you have unhooked from the matrix. You can't go back in. That's what this song says to me. When Major Tom really thinks about it, he says, uh-uh. I found a better way. I don't care that I now meet your approval again. I don't care that you want me back. I'm not coming back. It makes me think of millions of homeschool children. That the state's saying, well, come on back. No. We'll do our virtual school. No. We're done. We're done with you. Once you go goose, you don't go back. With that's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Oh, my God.